Your attention, please. It be too late to alter course, mateys. To all who come to this happy place. Welcome. 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 How do you do? Well, come in. Oh, look at all the people. Your host will be here presently. Chorus! Let's put on the show. Your cadaverous pallor. Aloha! Betrays an aura of foreboding. And let's all stay together. Hang on to them hats and glasses. And now, anything's possible at Disneyland. Ladies and gentlemen, remain seated, please. Permanecer sentados, por favor. You're listening to Remain Seated, Please. And now your hosts, Robert and David. Give them all your undivided attention, or I'll zap you into the twilight zone. Hello there, and welcome to Remain Seated, Please. I'm Robert, and with me as always is... David. Hello, David. How are you doing? Good. I see somebody sitting over there next to you. Yes. Here we have Mark Silverman, the voice of Rod Serling in the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. Hello, Mark. Hello. It's great to be here. I'm very impressed with the whole setup. This is terrific. It's got to be a voiceover actor thing, because his voice just sounds light years better than ours. Well, I, I'm just uh, doing what I do. <laughs> and we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. So we all know you as the voice of Rod Serling from the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. So why don't you tell us uh, how you found out about the job and how you got the job? I was actually in my house where I, where I grew up in 1993 and the phone rang and it was old family friend Sam Quasman. Sam Quasman was the voice of... Uh... Donald Duck for Disney on Parade. And a character actor. And he, he's a friend of the family. And he called me out of the blue and he said, Hey, Mark, my agent's looking for a Rod Serling voice for some ride in Disney World, which to me immediately sounded very crazy. Why? I say, How do you connect the Twilight Zone to Disney World? You know? So I said, Okay. And I ran down to this agent in Beverly Hills. And I, I remember sitting there waiting with other people in the lobby and I went in and it was like this agent's first day on the job and she didn't even have a good microphone. It was like a, a big ghetto blaster from Radio Shack that she just stood, put there on the table <laughs> and she said, okay, there's, just read this like Rod Serling from the Twilight Zone. So the, the audition was, it was just the beginning intro. You unlock this door with a key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. And I, I didn't really do Rod Serling so much back then, but I guess it didn't sound like I was doing an impression. In voiceover, you do so many auditions, and you don't get so many, that when you do the audition, you rarely even think about it after a few years of auditioning. So I went in and read this, and then like, Three weeks later, I come home and my little red light is going on my answer machine. And this agent that I read it to says, Hi, Mark. Remember that Rod Serling thing you came in on? Well, it didn't die. They've literally liked it at Disney. And they want you down at Walt Disney Imagineering on Tuesday at 3 o'clock. 
And I was so excited because I had always been such a Disney fanatic and always wanted to get into that building at Imagineering, and now this was my chance, and I got to audition for this again. So it was unbelievably exciting knowing that I got to go there to audition. So this was still the audition. You didn't get the role yet, but you were going to Imagineering right. to now do a, right. a read for the Imagineers. Right. And I, I went down there and read it again, and then I came home, and there was a very nice casting lady that really understood how exciting this was for me because I was a Disneyland fanatic growing up. So she would call me from time to time saying, you know, it's now down to 12 voices and they really like you. I think you have a good chance. And then there would be another audition. So there was about three or four auditions before the last big finale audition. And the big finale, was that also at Imagineering? Yes. How many people were you up against for the last? Just one, one guy. And I, I went into this big room, this huge room at Imagineering, and Joe Dante was there. Wow. Because he was going to put together the pre-show. Oh, Joe Dante, director of... Uh, Gremlins? Gremlins and uh, the Halloween. He did, he did another thing that I just found out about recently. Piranha. Well, he also directed the uh, a segment in the Twilight Zone movie. So I had to read the um, William Shatner episode. Mr. Robert Wilson, age 37, husband, father, and salesman on sick leave. Mr. Wilson has just been discharged from the sanitarium, where he spent the last six months recovering from a nervous breakdown, the onset of which took place on an airliner very much like the one in which Mr. Wilson is about to be flown home. Well, I read it, and I came back in the waiting room, and I guess the other guy went in, before me or after me, I forget. And when I got into the waiting room, the casting lady that I really liked came back and said, oh, they loved it, and you got it. And I, I immediately, I felt like Rocky when he ran up the stairs, and you know, it was just an incredible <laughs> moment for me. And I said, God, really? I was so excited. And I, and I remember driving home just feeling so happy. And it was just incredible. That's incredible. So the day of, you finished your audition, and within minutes, you already knew that you'd gotten it. That's right. Now, was there what was the factor that, that really nailed the put the nail on the coffin that they said, yes, he's the guy? Listen, I had a book that had every single uh, uh, narration from every episode. The Twilight Zone was on Channel 5 at that time, at midnight, and I would look what episode it was going to be at midnight, and then I would quick get the book, and I would read it before Rod read the monologue, and the better I got, the more I would know how he was going to say it, and it really became an exciting thing to do. I would know what episode it was, and I'd quick look it up, and I'd say, oh, he says Saturday afternoon, and I would go... Saturday afternoon. And then the episode, he, he would start doing the monologue, and sure enough, he'd say, Saturday afternoon. And I knew, I got to know exactly how he would say every word. That's funny. And then I would, if I was uh, driving in my car and, and, a, and a businessman crossed the street, immediately I would just say, Mr. Harry Dinnelbert, he's age 53. He doesn't know it yet, but he's about to enter a business meeting unlike any he's ever entered before. And, and I would just do that with everything. And I bought these little bubblegum cigarettes because I didn't smoke and I would hold them like Rod. And I just became Rod Serling. So that final audition, nobody wanted it like I did. That's great. Did you bring the cigarette, the bubblegum cigarettes <laughs> into the actual recording? I actually did, yeah. Nice. <laughs> I did. What, what was the actual recording like? It was not a long thing. I mean, it only took like uh, about three hours and they brought a monitor of Rod Serling so I could loop his dialogue for the pre-show. 
and that worked very well. Then they had a little break, and we w- went into the uh, commissary, the cafeteria, and they gave me mashed potatoes, which were fantastic. Doesn't, I don't know. Doesn't Disney always make the best mashed potatoes? Yeah, why? What do they do? Well, even I, at New Orleans Square, their mashed potatoes are the best thing at the French market. Is that true? What it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what it is? I, it's got to be pixie dust is nothing but a seasoning. That's got to be... Well, they, they were like sweet and creamy. Oh, they were so good. Then we went back and I did the rest and uh, that was it. But then what was interesting was there was a promo months later and they thought that I got better. So they said, we think you're better now. So will you come back and do it again? And I said, yeah, sure, of course. And the week I was supposed to do it, I got really sick. And then I went into Imagineering and I read one line you unlock this door with it. They're terrible. Oh, and, they, and, no. they, and they sent me home and they said, why don't we just wait a month? I said, okay. And I went back and uh, did it in nine, like I think it was February of 94 and did it again. What I've heard is that uh, Rod Serling's wife was in on the auditions. Was this the final audition that she was in on? That Yes. They Well, they played her the different auditions and I think she picked the ones she liked and put an extra check on mine. Ooh. So they knew that I was her first choice. When they did the playback of Rod Serling from It's a Wonderful, or a, It's a Good Life. It's yeah. a Good Life. Was he already rotoscoped in in front of the uh, elevator doors, or was it from the original episode? They hadn't worked on that yet. I know I can't remember now. Oh, okay. But they did give me a video cassette to practice, and it did have him in front of the map. So I'm not sure then if he was already. Rotoscoped. And they cut away right off the M for right. Yeah. But actually, they didn't do that at first because I had to do the dialogue before they cut away at first, and I I didn't know how they were going to do that. And I said, yeah, there's more syllables in, <laughs> in maintenance service elevator than map of the United States. Interesting. So, but so then, it just sort of fell out of sync as you yeah. finished the line. Yeah. So then when I saw it, I thought, oh, that of course that's brilliant editing. <laughs> <laughs> I have read in so many Disney books, something about Rod Serling's cigarette. Oh, that's always something. What's the true story of Rod and the cigarette? Well, in in probably 80% of those intros on the Twilight Zone, Rod is smoking. But this happened to be one that he wasn't smoking in, in the It's a Good Life, where they used that clip for the pre-show. But still to this day, people will say, look how family-friendly Disney had to edit it out Rod's cigarette. And it's funny because you can still see the smoke if you look closely. And he's not even smoking. And some of the tour books even say that in the stores. They'll say, notice Rod's cigarette. In the, uh, you know, any store you could, you know, that you would yeah. buy a tour book in. What's funny is um, you can actually see something on Rod Serling if you look very closely, but it's not smoke. What it is, is that episode, It's a Good Life, begins right away with tonight's episode on The Twilight Zone. So what you're actually seeing is the end of the fade in, and you can see the stars going up from <laughs> yeah. the beginning. Oh, you, that's you, funny. I, I know, you mentioned that, and then I, every time I notice that now. Only the editors would notice that. <laughs> While you were recording, did you see any uh, pre-visual concept art or models or anything? Very little. There was very little that I saw. Um, I think they showed me a painting of a hotel. It, nothing prepared me for what it was, though, so I really saw nothing. There was something uh, I did for the uh, Christmas uh, parade where Regis w- went on a mock a Tower of Terror as a little promo, and that kind oh, of showed you favorite. a little. Yeah. Ah, the real thriller. This is the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. Picture, if you will, one of America's favorite talk show hosts. A man loved by millions, though sometimes prone to overacting. 
trapped on a voyage into another dimension in the macabre. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. I don't like this. But when I got to Disney World on the uh, for the world premiere, I saw it from the bus just going to the hotel, and it was completely overwhelming. It was like seeing King Kong for the first time. Wow. It was just it's so big and in just standing in the middle of nowhere like that. It's just incredible. I can imagine it, you'd almost like get stage fright for a second, even though you recorded the lines months earlier. But it's almost like, oh my gosh, that's how big this thing is, that my voice is on that thing. Yeah. <laughs> Were you worried that people might not buy it? Um, what do you mean, the voice? Yeah, that they would think that, oh, that's obviously a voice. Yeah, I, every, you know, every time to this day when I go on it, I still, you still watch it like, eh, what are people going to say? But uh, I, I, I've gotten very nice feedback, so I, I can enjoy myself. I feel like the layman think that that was an episode of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people do that, yeah. They'll, they'll think that maybe the Imaginers edited together different dialogues of Serling. But at the uh, the world premiere, get, getting in line, there was a big... There, they had like a Broadway show with fireworks and food. They had Cobb salads from the Brown Derby, and then we all got in line. They said There was an announcement like, Ladies and gentlemen, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror is now officially open. And everybody got in line, and there were celebrities and press from all over the world. And we, we, I couldn't believe how beautiful and how just massive the whole thing was. And I'm holding my little tape recorder that I used to bring to Disneyland to record the rides. And I'm thinking I'm going to be recording myself. So that was very weird. <laughs> and then when I got into the lobby, it was very emotional. That it was just so grand and huge. And I thought they thought enough of me to put my voice in this thing it, it was really a moving, surreal experience. And then in the pre-show, when I first heard my voice, uh, it, it was just knocked me out. I could not believe it. And then getting on the ride and hearing my voice. I, I'm always amazed, and I say this every time I talk about it, that I didn't pass out from just being so excited that night. Every second of it, I was thrilled and nervous and anticipating the drop. And when we went forward through the fifth dimension, and through that white line that opens up into nothingness, I thought that was, it would just completely knock me out. So it was far more amazing than anything I even anticipated, because I didn't know anything that was going to happen. Now, this is back in 1994, and back then they only had one drop, right? Right. Were there any visual things that were different when you first went on it that you can remember? No, I, I don't think anything really is that different. The um They added some lightning effects, I think, to the drop effect. Oh, yeah, and then in the, when you're actually dropping, uh, you see those ghosts and the window breaking sometimes. Right. The And the other difference is that they had lap bars, so if you were like a little kid and you had a big person sitting on each side of you, the lap bar would go on them and you'd have all this room to fly up. So you'd, you'd fly off your seat so much more back then. It was really scary. And what was interesting is the back row had one seatbelt seat. And and everybody thought that would be the scariest because you only had a seatbelt. But there's nothing to hold on to. Yeah, there was nothing to hold on to. But the lap bar was really, I mean, that I think for safety reasons they had to stop that. So the last time you recorded for that ride before the opening was 1994. Have you gone back to do promos or was anything changed for either Paris or California Adventure? There, there were promos for other things. There were lots of commercials. There was a Target commercial. Uh, the Ginsburgs are shopping at Target. You know, that kind of thing. And um, 
I did record different stuff for the California Adventure version because there's a different scene with the mirror and all that. So you got to go back and what yeah. was that, 2000? Or no, that would have been 2001? 2002, I actually okay. recorded it. Were there lines you recorded that were deleted? There were different things in the Cali- in the in the one for Disney World. Something like, um, what you're looking at are phantoms from another era. I guess talking about the people in the hallway. Phantoms wanting to go home. There was a whole thing about that that we... That never, sounds interesting. Yeah, never, never made the att- final attraction. Now, do you have a favorite between the two towers? Well, I like... Uh, I mean, the Florida one is just amazing. The whole queue area... And I love the fifth dimension is so weird. So I, I love that. Uh, the, the California version, I lo- love that as well. I, the, the, the force that they shoot you up there, where, where the elevator moves up, is just fascinating. I don't know how they do it that with, and keep you in control like that without it just blasting through the roof. Did it bug you at Disney World when Everest was built and Tower was no longer the tallest attraction? Yeah, it still bothers me a little bit. <laughs> Why did they have to do that? I know, by six inches. Oh. That's it? Yeah. While we're talking about Tower of Terror, let's also talk a little bit about The Twilight Zone. Which is your favorite episode? I think my favorite is Stop Over in a Quiet Tone. I love the two of them together. I, 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 they, you feel so bad for them by the end, and then they finally get on that train, and they're so relieved. <laughs> and I like when the, when the husband starts doing an impression of his boss. He's going to be there saying, hey, where were you? And then the wife starts making a face like the boss, and they're so happy. Then all of a sudden, the, whole, the wife's, her whole face just drops when she sees the Centerville sign come back. She, and, the, and the husband says, well, maybe it's a, a different Centerville. She says, like, with the same dead skunks sitting on it, are you kidding? No, it's, it's great. I mean, that, that scene thrills me. I've seen it probably a million times, and I still stop everything I'm doing, and I'll just watch that episode. It's paper mache. <laughs> yeah, I like that, too. I say that every time he says that, too. <laughs> it's paper mache. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite prop inside the Tower of Terror? I, lo- I love the To Serve Man book. Which is only in the Florida version. Oh, it yeah. is. But oh. also in the Florida version is the uh, the slot machine. Yeah, that's another one of my favorite episodes. Too, now, you talked earlier about how you're a huge fan of Disneyland. How big of a fan were you? And when did you really fall in love with Disneyland? I loved it ever since I was a little kid. I just loved Disney and loved Pinocchio and loved Disneyland and going there with my family and friends, and enjoying all the various Disney attractions. I loved it. But when, when, I was, uh, when I went to Japan with my mother when I was a kid, we, we took a tape recorder, and we recorded things, and I started to become fascinated with this little tape recorder, so I would take it places. So I'm going to Disneyland in 1977, and I bring the tape recorder, and I recorded Pirates and Mansion and a few different rides, and I started to listen to the tapes at home, and I became obsessed, crazy about Disneyland. And 
I, I had water from Pirates of the Caribbean and a little thing on my nightstand. And I would start to build little funny models from the ride. And I, I became truly obsessed. And I would call Imagineering and I would bother them with a million questions from an annoying 14-year-old boy. And they'd be so nice and answer all the questions. And it just, it's all I would think about. I would draw it on, in, when I'd be in school, they would, in Spanish class, they'd ask me a question and I'd say, Permane citizens, por favor. <laughs> I would draw the auction scene from Pirates and all my homework and stuff. But I just, I just, I loved it. I was so fascinated. And it was before, obviously, there was internet. So I always wondered, the people that were fascinated by Disneyland then, it's a little different now because it's, it's more, you immediately see other people fascinated. But back then, you know, people always would think you were weird. They'd say, don't you have anything else to talk about except Disneyland? No, we still get that a little bit, but oh, <laughs> I, know what you're I know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember your first time at Disneyland or what around what year it was? It must have been around 67, 66, but I must have been very young, and Pirates was very scary. I can't remember if I did that the first time I was there, but it, it was terrifying for me, especially the waterfall. And then when the pirates made eye contact with me, I got very scared and nervous. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I feel so old. I remember being there with my father and him. He was reading something saying, oh, they're going to have a haunted house here someday. And I said, oh, yeah, that kind of looks neat. And, and, and that just seems like it's been there forever now. But what's really weird is that when I was in high school, Disneyland was only like 20 years old. And, and it seemed like then it was there forever. And now when I think of 20 years old, the Tower of Terror is now 20 years old. Uh, the whole th Nothing makes sense That's about crazy. that. <laughs> My buddy made a funny joke the other day, and I never thought about it. And I don't think it was a derogatory thing, but he's like, do you ever... <laughs> he posts to Facebook, he says... Do you guys ever open up the back of your toilet just so it smells like pirates? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> that doesn't sm that doesn't smell like pirates. It, it though. It sort of does because the back of your toilet doesn't smell bad. I, it's just water, but it's stale water, and that's kind of what pirates I like to put like. my nose in the air conditioner. That smells like pirates to me. Like you ever in your car? Like either in my car, but especially the air conditioning at my apartment when it first turns on. Mm, yeah. Sometimes bad breath smells like pirates, too. <laughs> I like to put the heater on in the car when I listen to the Mr. Toad ride. Oh, ride yeah, 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 yeah. Just the hell part. And do you like to pretend you're juggling uh, uh, mugs? That's yeah, that would be that's great. That's like my favorite like scene in there. Yeah, that's like my favorite scene on that ride is that guy juggling the mugs full of beer. That's great. I love that ride. Absolutely love it. What are uh, some other projects that you have done that you have enjoyed, whether it's for Disney or not for Disney? Well, for Disney, I, um, are you familiar with Bambi? I've heard <clears throat> of Bambi. I play Friend Owl when they do, like, the Disney read-alongs or the Disney DVDs. And Friend Owl is an old, cantankerous old man, you see? He's got a voice. He's played by a guy named Will Wright in the original movie. And Will Wright is a guy that you see on... I love Lucy, and he plays a locksmith and uh, a sheriff in uh, I Love Lucy. He's always cantankerous. You know, so when he played Friend Owl, <laughs> he was sort of higher like this, you know. And so that was great, to be cast as an actual Disney character. Well, <laughs> this is quite an occasion. Yes, sir. 
It isn't every day a prince is born. Don't you do voices for Miyazaki? Yes. The, uh, John Lasseter loves Miyazaki. So he brings, he wanted to dub these movies and supervise the dubs. So they, they bring me in to sound like old kings. And, um, they, I, they like my very noble sounding king voice. So in Howl's Moving Castle, uh, Christian Bale turns into the king, but it's really me. I'm the voice that he turns into. And I sort of do a Gregory Peck, Charlton Heston type of thing. <laughs> and I was very happy with that. I felt good about that. And it put me on a cast list with Lauren Bacall, which was quite oh, exciting. And Christian Bale. I mean, that's no big... Yeah, but Laura McCall, you know, yeah. what, a, what a movie star. And and uh, Billy Crystal, Christian Bale. Laura oh, wow. McCall. That was a great... And it was up for an Academy Award. As you were... So then, how are you feeling? I'm fine, thank you. Thought I'd drop by, rather than sit through a dull war meeting. What an honor. Who are your guests? This is Howl's mother, Mrs. Pendragon. One of the other interesting voices I did for a Disney job was there was a movie called The Happiest Millionaire. It's from 1967, and it's the last film that Walt himself personally supervised. And at the end of the movie, uh, it's a big, big two-and-a-half-hour musical with Fred McMurray and John Davidson and Greer Garson and Tommy Steele. And the Disney restoration crew found a, a scene and a half at the end of the movie in a vault, but it had no audio track. So they had to get somebody to sound like Fred McMurray, Greer Garson, and Tommy Steele. Wow. And I had always watched a lot of My Three Sons, and as a gag, you know, I used to sound like Fred McMurray, and I knew how to sound like him. And uh, <laughs> he was very breathy and always a little befuddled. Chip, Robbie, and Ernie. So they had this audition, and it, this is funny. This was the only audition where I knew, I, I just knew nobody else was going to do that. <laughs> nobody else is weird enough to walk around as a kid being Fred McMurray. So I did the audition like on a Wednesday, and I knew by Friday I would get it. I remember lying in bed and the phone ringing in the morning, and that was it, and I went into Disney and did that. And then they had a big premiere of the rest restorated... Uh, Restored, <laughs> restorated, <laughs> of the restored version. And I, I was sinking down in my seat, terrified that all of a sudden my voice would come out like Fred McBride and everybody would notice, And I, but they didn't. They didn't notice at all, and so it was great. And this is on the DVD that's on sale on Main Street USA. Yeah. How long had, had you been voice acting before the Tower of Terror job? Well, the Tower of Terror job was in 1993, and I... I had been revoicing celebrities for like a few years before that. I did. I started in like in the eighties. I was working at K Rock in L.A., doing all sorts of crazy phony phone calls and different voices. I did a bit where I, <laughs> I actually woke up Telly Savalas as Talky Tina, <laughs> <laughs> where. <laughs> He used to live at the Sheraton Universal Hotel. And when I when I grew up as a kid, when I when Talkie Tina episode would come on, I'd call the hotel and say, Telly Savalas, please hurry. 
And then he would he would answer, hello. I'd say, Telly, they're showing Taki Tina on Channel 5. Oh, my God. And he would just, he wouldn't say, like, who is it? He would just say, oh, really? Thank you. And he'd put it on. That was it. How do you come across the information that Telly is living at the Sheridan at Universal? Because I just knew, I don't know. It was like, a, it was like common knowledge back then. So at K-Rock, he, I called him, like, at 6.30 in the morning. And he wakes up. Hello. Telly? Yeah. It's Taki Tina, and I don't think I like you. Yeah. I said, Telly, I don't like you. Yeah, we've, we've established that. What's next? Telly, anything to say to Taki Tina? Uh-huh. <laughs> and we had Twilight Zone music in the background. Picture this. 30 years ago, a struggling bald actor named Telly Savalas does a Twilight Zone in which he receives threatening phone calls from a deranged doll, a doll named Talking Tina. Imagine, if you will, 30 years later, after he stars in a top-rated show, Kojak, and after a brilliant film, Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, Telly finds himself living in a luxurious hotel in Los Angeles. Why does he live in a hotel? Telly stated, it's the only place I can order a French dip at 2 in the morning in my bathrobe. Now, some 30 years later, K-Rock calls him back as the deranged doll from the Twilight Zone he made 30 years ago. Hello? This is Talking Tina, and I don't think I like you. This is Talking Tina, and you've been very mean to me. It's Talking Tina. And I don't think I like you. Uh, having established that, what's next? Telly? Yeah. Anything to say to Talking Tina? Uh-huh. This is Talking Tina. And you'll be sorry. Hello. 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 Can a doll really call somebody at a hotel and create hell? Not really. But to a man who spent his whole career being cantankerous and crusty, a man who's played a detective, a detective with all the answers, and who has now barricaded himself in an expensive hotel, a proverbial fort, if you will, a doll can be a very threatening thing on the phone. A telephone with a direct line to the K-Rock zone. Uh, so what were some other voices you did on K-Rock? I once called Mike Tyson, uh, Sylvester Stallone. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Just me, Rocky Balboa. No, I, I didn't say it was Rocky. Uh, Sylvester, uh, what, you're going to fight Larry Holmes tonight. I want you to watch Larry's right. He's guy's pretty good, you know? <laughs> and did you follow boxing? Did you know what you were saying? I, did, I knew a little bit. Okay. I said, hey, yo, how you doing, Mike? It's Sylvester Stallone. I just wanted to say, you know, good luck, and you're going to do very good tonight. And he said, like, oh, well, first of all, the hotel operator went crazy that it was Stallone. Good morning, Charles. Yes, how you doing? I'd like to speak to Mike Tyson, please. Thank you. Okay. Who is it, please? Uh, it's just uh, an old friend of his, Sylvester. No, I thought that was you. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's not make that big of a deal about it, okay? I don't say anything. Okay. Okay, hold think... on for a moment. Okay. Hello? Hey, Mike, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Who's this? Oh, this is Sylvester Stallone. I mean, I wanted to congratulate the champ before the fight, not that you need any luck. 
Hey, thank you very much, Sly. Uh, I think you're incredible. You really are. I mean, I think you're really, you're like uh, the most amazing fighter to hit the ring since uh, Rocky Balboa, you know? <laughs> and it made the papers. Did it really? Wow. It made the papers all over the country. Would you say Stallone is your best impression? Well, I think it's, the, it's, it's, it's in my top four. It's in my top four. What would you four. say your top four are? Maxwell's Small Agent Six of Control. That's uh, Maxwell Smart was the first impression I really mastered. And then, um, of course, I did Al, Al Pacino was one of my best, too. Uh, they brought me in uh, from Universal, and I had to revoice Al Pacino. So if you ever see Carlito's way on TV and he's not cussing, <laughs> it's me. In the, in the movie, he'll say, like, F*** you. So we change it to, forget you. <laughs> forget him. Anyway, that's how they do that, you know. And um, I consider that one one of my best, and Serling. Serling, Stallone, and Pacino. I would um, consider it. And Don Adams. Oh, and Don Adams, right. Were there any other jobs that you wanted to mention that you you have worked on? Well, for all the prep and landing, the Disney animated Christmas things, I narrated, Welcome to Kringle Academy. In these ancient halls, you will see how to be an elf. You know, all that sort of thing. Prep and landing. And they're included on the DVD. Are you ready? Ready to become one of the few, the proud, the merry? Christmas is counting on you. I like that. And for the show Lost, I narrated a very weird uh, documentary called... Um, Mysteries of the Universe, the Dharma Connection. You may have seen an octagonal seal or crest with the word Dharma in the center. The word itself, an Indian spiritual term, this is their mark. And I, I remember reading this thing as I was recording it, and I, knew, I, couldn't, I had no idea what I was even talking about. Well, I didn't even know what Dharma was. And I had to keep reading it, and it's, it's on YouTube, and it was included on the box set of the fifth season. At this point in the discussion, I want to ask uh, what some of your favorite things are. You could be as elaborate as you like. You could say one-word answers if you like. If you don't want to, you don't have to. What is your favorite ride at Disneyland? Oh, of course. Pirates of the Caribbean. Who's your favorite pirate in the ride? I, I got a few of them. I like uh, the, the heckler with the curly hair that sits on the bridge. And he kind of spills his... Uh, wine on you as you go under. He scared me. When I was a kid, they used to scare me if he would make eye contact with me. <laughs> and I like the the short, the short, stumpy guy that's got the rope tied to the redhead I like. What's your favorite ride at Walt Disney World? Uh, well, I would have to say Tower of Terror. Naturally. Yeah, and I love Spaceship Earth a lot. I like Disney caves and waterfalls. They're always, maybe because of pirates. I, I like, I love when you're in the train at Disneyland and, and you see those, like, it'll be dark and then you see this little opening with like a red light and a branch yeah. sticking through the rock. It's yeah. it's so old school Disneyland. You don't see that kind of thing in new attractions. You, you mentioned that you love waterfalls. What's your favorite waterfall at Disneyland? I love the waterfall in Pirates. I love a lot of those. When you go down that second waterfall, and they're shooting down from all over. There's one on the left I always like a lot. 
That's sort of where that uh, boat, broken boat is. Yeah. It's like the last waterfall you see. Do you know what I'm talking that's about? That's so funny. Yeah. That's my favorite is waterfall. It really? It's such yeah. a random thing. I've yeah. never tell anybody. And it's just, yeah. <laughs> and it's right got, across from the uh, skeleton at the wheel. Right. And it's just crashing down so hard. And it's that weird rock formation is right next to it. That's like a, like a U shape upside down. Yeah. And uh, I love the waterfalls and the Matterhorn shooting down. I love that. I love Splash Mountain and all the waterfalls and rock work and that. I love that part in California Adventure where that waterfall's crashing down. Yeah, over near Grizzly. Uh, yeah, and yeah. sometimes you see Which a little, side? little baby ducks walking around. Do you like the waterfall on the side of Carthay Circle Theater or the side of the Grand Californian? The, the Carthay Circle side. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Of the Disney World parks, which one do you enjoy the most? Oh, I gotta say Hollywood Studios. Really? Wow. What is your favorite movie? It uh, doesn't have to be Disney. Your favorite movie of all time. Oh, without, without a doubt, uh, the original 1976, Rocky. What is your favorite Disney animated movie? Oh, without a doubt, Pinocchio. Pinocchio is as good as any great movie. It's every bit as good as Wizard of Oz. It's the best animated movie ever made. In fact, anytime anybody tells me their favorite Disney animated movie, and even if it's something great like Snow White or Peter Pan or something, I always feel disappointed. I can always understand it if a girl, like a young girl, it, there's no romance or princesses in Pinocchio. So I, I understand that. But anybody else, I, I don't get it. It's so much better than any other Disney animated movie or any animated movie. It, it should be known as the greatest animated classic of all time. Favorite Disney live action movie? Actually, I like Bed Bedknobs and Broomsticks might be my favorite. Out of all the voice jobs that you have heard at Disney parks, what's your favorite uh, narration at the parks? Well, or, oh, I, I would have to be Pony Mansion. Paul Freeze? Of course. What is your favorite Disney collectible that you own? My Pirates of the Caribbean book. It's sort of like a magazine book that used to be on sale at Disneyland, but I, I've since I have Mark Davis actually autographed it, and Alice Davis signed it, and some of the other great Disney artists did. Our last podcast was about uh, the sounds of Disneyland. What's your favorite sound that you hear at Disneyland? Well, without a doubt, I, I'm going to... Jiminy Cricket singing When You Wish Upon a Star in the Castle. That's my favorite thing to hear in a Disney park. What's your favorite food at Disneyland or California Adventure? I, I really like the Cobb salad at the um, Plaza. Who is your favorite animator? I have a few of those. Uh, Willie Reitherman was one of my favorites. Uh, Willie Reitherman, uh, known as Wolfgang Reitherman, lived in Burbank and uh, animated two of the greatest uh, scenes in Disney history. The Rite of Spring, the dinosaurs from Fantasia, but then my favorite, he animated Monstro and the underwater sequence from Pinocchio. And once when I was a kid, I looked him up in the phone book and I called him and talked to him for about a half hour just about Pinocchio. I also love Ward Kimball, who we did a lot of really funny, surreal things, the dream sequence in Dumbo, but my favorite thing is he designed and animated Jiminy Cricket. And I love Mark Davis, who then did all the sketches for Pirates of the Caribbean and all that kind of thing. So I love all those guys. Do you have a favorite Walt Disney quote? Uh, yeah, 
I, I, I like that one where someone asked him, Walt, do you ever think you want to get into politics? And he said something like, who wants to get into politics when you can be the king of Disneyland? Well, we have finally reached the end of our interview, but we want to know uh, what projects do you have coming up or what have you been working on recently? Well, I did a video game the other day, some Final Fantasy thing. That was fun. And uh, I will be a D23 in August. Oh, part of the uh, Voices of the Parks panel. Yes, I'll be up there with uh, a few of the different um, voice people. B.J. Ward, who was the voice of the People Mover. And um, Pete Renaday, who was a lot of, I think he was a country bear. And he was the uh, voice of the ghost host on the Haunted Mansion record. Good evening. With Ron Howard. Yeah, with Ron Howard. Oh. Yeah, so that'll be kind of exciting. So that's always fun. A lot of people like to see the different various voices of all their favorite attractions, and I like to like to be there, you know. And I might be selling my CDs there with all my different voices and little Tower of Terror promos and that kind of thing. And you'll be there all three days doing that, you think? I think I will, yeah. And D23 is August 9th through the 11th. Right. And do you have a website or anywhere where people can find you online? Oh, you can hear my um, my demo on YouTube. You just write in my name and demo, and it pops right up. Well, we would like to thank you for being on. Yeah, thank you so much. Remain seated, please. You're welcome. I loved it. I had a ball, an absolute ball. Let's move on to news and what's new in Disney. I came across the other day a thing called DHI, Disneyland Historical Institute, I think is what they call themselves. They're a Facebook page. They also have a website, and it's chock full of construction photos and archival Disney photos you've never seen before. Photos and videos of Imagineers talking about their favorite rides and how they're built and all this crazy stuff. It really, really impressed me. And oh, they're really sounds, doing a great job over sounds there. Sounds great. Yeah. Uh, one of the videos that I that I watched was, uh, you know, 400 hours or something of film that they found that, that was about to get shipped off into deep You storage. did not watch 400 hours. For I didn't watch 400 hours. These guys started digitizing 400 hours after they got it approved. It was about to go to deep storage somewhere in Pennsylvania or Maryland or something, and it said it just said Disneyland on it. So the guys opened it up and they said, oh my gosh, this is construction time-lapse photography. And what they did is they hired like the best time-lapse guy that they had doing all the Disney nature videos at the time. He set up all these towers uh, throughout the park, shooting in every direction, time-lapse photography, and you watch them build up Main Street Station, and you watch them build up City Hall, and you watch them build up the castle, and it's well, there, really there, neat there stuff. was always that uh, shot of the castle being built in time lapse. That's in yeah, a lot of yeah. There was, all, there was lots. Of, some of this footage uh, is familiar, but lots of it is new that yeah. most people haven't seen. And, and Tony Baxter narrates it with a couple other Imagineers. I didn't remember their names, did you? I don't, I don't know. But I mean, well, Tony Baxter's talking about it, and he, he they talk about about where they are before opening and I mean there's dirt roads on Main Street and dirt piles everywhere and w scaffolding and no paint <laughs> anywhere and they're like and this is about three months from opening like wow. you know and they talk about how they couldn't do it and they couldn't do this stuff anymore um, and mostly because OSHA OSHA is, is making things difficult for them or else they would try to make those things but I also think there's something about the workmanship 
uh, well, also of the, those original construction guys. Now that Disney is a corporate company, the amount of money right. that they put into building something, they can't have something, you know, 60% complete with three days left till right, opening. Yeah. But they showed, uh, was it, uh, what was in Tomorrowland? It was uh, Rocket should, to the Moon. Rocket to the Moon. A day before opening, they it wasn't painted. It, you know, all this crazy stuff. And I think even on the day, they, they did like press previews where they could walk through it, yeah. but they couldn't. It wasn't open to the public to ride. And they talked about how the, uh, t- the Chicken of the Sea uh, ship that was where Dumbo is now um, was only painted halfway when the park opened. Um, just so the cameras could shoot something that didn't look like a wooden structure. Um, really funny, neat stuff. And that you can actually see that ship and uh, Skull Rock over in Paris. And then there was a great video that I sent to you. And it was just Walt Disney saying the craziest, like, um, I, almost, I felt like, because that video was from about 1954 or 55. Yeah, it was either 1954 or 55, and it was basically a, like a It was a construction reel. update. He really goes out there and he's like far out man he's like i dig it man keep dig it, digging man. <laughs> <laughs> well something's digging man everywhere you look things are really jumping it's a bebop hop with everybody getting into the act well dig this crazy digger it's really digging the most and when it comes to planting the greenery for scenery look at this man go go man go go dig it deep and throw it far out so yeah, Disney Historical Institute. That's my new favorite thing. I fell down that rabbit hole the other night. I was up for like five hours clicking through their Facebook page. Yeah, full that... of construction photos. I mean, showing Walt Disney with the guys laying down the train tracks um, for uh, for the Disneyland Railroad. And there's a picture that there was a, a, there was not a lot of context, but from the point of view, it looked like it was just between the Emporium and the Magic Shop looking back towards Main Street Station. They're laying in the tracks for the trolley, and it's straight up train tracks with wooden ties that they just concreted over. Hmm. It's it's a regular train track with wooden ties underneath that. It's it was really a bizarre photo to see. I wonder if that's how they always make trolley tracks. I yeah I'd never I'd never heard of that. But um and then uh I I really liked in the time lapse they talked about the gazebo that moved around. Yeah. How it was in the middle of time of the town square, but you couldn't see the castle, so they moved it to Carnation Plaza, and now it's the gazebo that's over at the French Market. I thought that was so neat. I had no idea. So yeah, they don't know who we are, and and we're just fans of happened upon them one day. I don't know what I googled, but I was glad I did. It's very very worth a check out. Let's wrap this thing up. Um, uh, we are. You can check out our blog, which we plan on posting more. We, we are so into this podcast now that we put all of our effort into planning when we're going to record the next one. But uh, you can see us at RemainSeatedPlease.com We're on Twitter at Twitter slash RemainSeatedPulse PLS and we're on Facebook. Just look for Remain Seated, Please. Remain Seated, Please. Permanece ser sentados, por favor. Well, anyway, uh, for Remain Seated, Please, I'm David. And I'm Robert. And that's Mark. Hello, everyone. What a pleasant time I had. Good night. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Eat a sandwich. Well, folks, this concludes our show. There. That wasn't so bad. Was it? I'll see you all a little later. You may not survive to pass this way again. Time to be moving along. 
and barrel around to see us again.